calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 56. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we've got a new component to the show that I think you listeners will enjoy. I was brainstorming, trying to think of a way to thank the fans that make large financial contributions to us, and it dawned on me. What if I wrote a song about a character or circumstance or idea of the donor's choice, anything, and in the musical style that they wanted, too? It would be challenging and fun for me, and also a great way to connect and give back to the people who help support us. So after today's story, I'm going to get my bard on, and we'll have the first ever bardle, a made-up word, of course, that not only sounds like the noise you make when you puke, but is also an anagram for the word drabble if you spell the word Drabble wrong. It'll be fun, so stick around. Our story this week is called 33 Seconds by L.B. Sed Lachek. L.B.'s short fiction has appeared in Skive Magazine, Southern Hum, Silver Moon, and Monarch Mysteries. His latest poetry chapbook is Red-Haired Eskimos and is available from Assume Nothing Press, a link to which is in our show notes. So, without further ado... 33 Seconds by L.B. Sedlacek. The machine, shaped like a giant rectangle, made a hissing noise as it spurted air inside a gray cylinder. A cylinder now ready for sale at $39.95, direct from Techno Air Incorporated. Johnny Reinhardt watched overhead on the supervisor's platform to make sure his employees didn't sniff any of the nitro juice. Techno Air was one of the few factories still using cheap human labor instead of robots. Inside the Techno Air factory, deep within the Earth's core, cheap was a necessity. Johnny looked down at the blinking transmitter inside. 
It was 2024, and he was still using 20-year-old technology to communicate. More so than the other humans, he was forced to accommodate his massive size, 6 foot 4 inches and 200 pounds, in earth below by bending and twisting through the underground tunnels. This left him with constant pains in his neck and back. As lead supervisor, he had to make frequent trips topside, but was never up there long enough to catch any infectious diseases. Still, it kept his hair lighter and his skin more tanned than the others. Because of the Earth's topside contamination, oxygen was salvaged through machinery, sucked down, filtered, and then sold in containers to blowers and topsiders. This is Reinhardt, Johnny said into his transmitter. Cautiously, his eyes surveyed each dark brown dirt layer, beginning with the miner's level floor down to the conveyor belt level of tunnels. The miner's level was his domain. He squinted at the yellow blinking lights overhead and cringed the smell of the dark earth. The scent constantly reminded him of the solar-powered hell he called home. Reinhardt, I want you to get your ass up here immediately. There's been a break on 19. A break? When? I don't pay you to ask questions, Reinhardt. Now get your ass up here, pronto. The low, gruff voice belonged to Techno Air's owner, Mr. Tully. Johnny signed off the transmitter, checked on his men again, and with a swift point of his index finger, assigned Worker 17 to be temporary watcher. He knew the workers never argued with 17. They knew what the punishment was for inappropriate behavior. During training, all the workers had watched a gruesome film depicting what the punishment was. A one-way trip topside without a filter mask. Thirty-three seconds was all it took. Johnny flashed an approving smirk to his obedient human drones as he brushed the dirt off his bright red uniform. He was in control. The freight elevator glided him to level three, which was occupied solely by Mr. Tully and his robot secretary. The office had a full view of all the areas below and took up a vast corner of the room. The rest of level three was blocked off as Mr. Tully's living quarters. He was the only one with quarters to himself. Even Johnny, as lead supervisor, had to share a large room with eight other supervisors like himself. At least he had a bed, desk, and a chair to himself, unlike the worker drones who shared a large floor mat and a latrine below the conveyor belt tunnels of level 22. Reinhardt to see Mr. Tully, Johnny mumbled to the silver robot sec. The robot sec repeated the same sentence in metallic syllables after pushing an intercom button on the aluminum desk. Send him in, Mr. Tully responded. Johnny opened the door and entered the room. Standing still, he stared at the back of Mr. Tully's white uniform. Johnny imagined that Mr. Tully was glaring down on his human drones, the ones he controlled, thinking to himself that they were not working hard enough. Staring at the older man's back, Johnny noted that the broad man now had thinning gray hair. Mr. Tully had not been topside in 18 years. He depended solely on drones like Johnny to take the dirty trips earthside for him. Finally daring to break the silence, Johnny asked, Uh, Mr. Tully, you asked me to come up? It's about time, Reinhardt. What took you so damn long? Did you take a lavatory break? No, 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 sir, Mr. Tully. I came straight up. If you'll fill me in, I can get straight back to my station. 
Johnny didn't have the nerve to be argumentative in the presence of Mr. Tully. Although down in the living quarters, no one had anything nice to say about the Techno-Air owner. Johnny knew, like all the other drones, that Tully was responsible for this subterranean life. It was Tully who perfected and controlled the technology that kept all the surviving humans, plants, and animals alive, although no one was sure who had actually invented the machines. That didn't really matter. All that mattered was who was in control. Johnny was thankful for his position. He didn't have much, no family or home topside or below, but he'd been able to tape together some sort of life. He took some delight in blowing part of his credits every other night on cheap liquor, games, and girls. Sometimes he would blow credits on ancient black market comic books when he could find them. Still, it didn't compare to his childhood memories of running around topside in the fresh air. With Earth's ozone layer almost fully depleted, it was a miracle anyone was still alive. Hell, after the fallout, it was a miracle anything still existed at all. The so-called Great Lakes, gray and hardly half their previous size, were surrounded by miles of barren wasteland. The Earthside population was estimated at about two million people living in small and precarious bubble townships. The rest had sacrificed the sunlight and moved below, where conditions were only slightly safer. Reinhardt had a feeling that someone's safety was about to be threatened, something hidden in Tully's tone. Reinhardt, we've got another sampler on our hands. Oh, no. Johnny brushed his fingers through his hair. When? Last night. Two or three hours past production stop. None of my workers. I doubt it. That's the one good thing I can say about you and your team, Reinhardt. Your drones never steal, never smuggle. They listen to you because you're always in control. You supervise well, and you know what you're doing. I called on you because I know I can count on you to find this smuggler. Thank you for your confidence in me, sir. You can expect a hundred bonus credits, and you'll earn every penny of it. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You may go. Johnny brushed past the robot sack and back into the elevator. He knew his objective, but he didn't like it. He could use the extra credits, and in actuality, he didn't have much of a choice. Stepping inside the freight elevator, he whistled as the gears ground together. Finally, he came to a stop at level 6, the security room. Every movement within Techno Air, aside from Mr. Tully's quarters and office, were monitored and stored here on digital chips. Entering the dark room, Johnny spit out, I need to see yesterday's chips. The glowing computer screen hummed. Seconds later, the events of the previous day flashed on five screens around him. It did not take long to identify the sampler. The fool had no idea how much of his life was monitored. Johnny left the security room and ambled back into the elevator. A few minutes later, he was on level 19, a level he usually avoided. This level was where the oxygen was neutralized for production and compressed into containers. Because the gas was hard to maintain and control, accidents were a common occurrence on level 19. Most of the drones that worked on this level received hazard credits. New workers were required to work on level 19 for at least three months before the hazard credits kicked in, and that was usually when they sampled. They believed that they were entitled to a little extra oxygen. Number 37, come forward. 
Johnny barked. A gasp echoed through the group of dirty, unclean men dressed in brown uniforms. A short, filthy man stepped forward. Uh, yes, sir. Let's go. Johnny gestured to the elevator. The little man grinned. He thinks he's being promoted, Johnny thought to himself. See you later, fellas, said the little man as he and Johnny disappeared into the steel elevator. Johnny pressed the topside button without a moment's hesitation. The little man didn't notice. After a few minutes, he squawked. Hey, we just passed level three. Where are we going? Are we going topside? I don't have my mask. Johnny pulled out his own gray mask and fit it securely over his mouth and nose. He reached down and flicked the switch on a small module strapped to his belt. I'm always in control, thought Johnny. Mr. Reinhardt, I need my mask. Johnny did not answer the quivering man. He only stared at the diminutive figure with slender bones and light blue eyes. Eyes that revealed that the man had just realized why he was now being rushed to the Earth's surface. When the elevator stopped, Johnny motioned towards the door. Number 37 did not move. He only shook his head and cried. Johnny effortlessly picked the man up and threw him outside the elevator. For a brief moment, Johnny took in the view. From the horizon, the sun climbed up from charred earth and rose into gray-amber sky. The wind howled, almost indistinguishable from the shrieking of number 37, whose skin was shriveling tightly around his tiny skeleton. Thirty-three seconds later, only the wind continued to scream. Johnny gazed at the glowing sun for a little while longer, and then down at the large pile of bones just beyond the elevator door. He sighed and pressed the elevator button down. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. We have a word for attributing human characteristics to non-human beings. But what is reverse anthropomorphism called? What do you call it if humans live like ants? This isn't a rhetorical question. I'm really curious. So somebody hop in the Drabblecast forums and tell me. Okay, so we're going to hold story feedback off for a week and double it up next week so that we can go ahead and get bartling. Again, a bartle is a donor incentive. We'll ask contributors of a certain amount if they would like to participate. If so, we'll ask what they want a song about. It can be a ridiculous or hilarious idea, or it can be sincere. Or you can just try and chuck out a good challenge for old Norm the Podcast Bard. I don't want to structure this very much because I don't want it to come across as a service. Our real service is free of charge on a weekly basis. But I will say, if you donate over 100 bucks, you'll get an email from me. If you donate way over 100 bucks, you'll get a long email from me. Our first bartle is for listener Tom Baker. It's called Playing Dead. Tom has one of the coolest jobs in the freaking world. He owns a professional-grade outdoor laser tag company called Steradian Technologies. He says, eh, we keep it fun. There aren't many jobs out there where you get to shoot your boss as part of product testing. 
True indeed, Tom. That even beats being paid to sleep for a living. Tom didn't make this first bardle very easy for me, but hey, if I'm going to whore myself out as the podcast bard, I guess I just got to bite the bullet. Tom wanted a bluegrass country song about the now famous and possibly extinct ivory-billed woodpecker. He suggested that these birds aren't actually extinct, they're just really good at hiding themselves, and they're moonshine stills. But before we get to our closing song, I should tell you that the Drabblecast happily uses an awesome little something called a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which essentially allows us to take advantage of the internet's capacity to foster cultural freedom and exchange by distinguishing our content from that which you cannot legally copy and share. This means you can distribute this episode all you like, just don't change any of it or sell it without talking to us first. We rely on the contributions of listeners like Tom to pay our authors and do our thing. So if you're feeling generous, go to our main page at www.drabblecast.org and click the donate button. While you're visiting our page, go ahead and join our forums to say hello. Don't be shy. There's some good discussion going on right now about an Irish guy who had part of his tooth surgically implanted into his eye. No, no, I know what you're thinking, but he actually did this before all that green Guinness flowed last Monday. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to never take a pecker from his shine. Deep in the woods on a Saturday night around the stump of a big old maple Bald Eagle and his koala paralegal sit down at the head of the table. There's a polar bear in a big leather chair, leaning back so far he could break it. He says the manatee sends his apologies. He did everything he could to make it. I'm sure he did. That's when the eagle said, Well, we gather today to offer our aid to a woodpecker going through some stormy weather. We're endangered species to some degree, so we all gotta try and stick together. He needs some direction, he needs our protection, so I called us all together to make this connection. So let's take a sack and offer him our respect, and hear what pecking problem picked this pecker to peck. That's when the woodpecker spoke up. Well, they took my land, and they took my home, they took away my family. They took my friends, and they took my food, they took away all my trees. But the one thing that they took from me, I know I can never forgive. It's the one thing that I truly need in order for me to live. The old woodpecker took off his hat, a tear ran down his bill. He said, I could make it by without all that, but now the man's coming down on my still. He's coming down hard on my still. You can scorch my skies, you can poison my rain. Build another Burger King, have it your way. Pave more highways, add more lanes. There's too many ivory-billed woodpeckers anyway, but never take a pecker from his shine. 
Don't ever take a pecker from his old moonshine. Do what you gotta do, Lord, do what you will. But never take a pecker from his moonshine still. Moonshine. Old Carolina coffee. That rare old Mountain Dew. The good old ivory built woodpecker's delight. There were gasps from the crowd and a burrowing owl squawked. Yo, they did that same shit to me. They destroyed my habitat, and I was fine with all that. But then they started messing with my weed. Mm -hmm. I don't sell it, I just grow, and my shit's good, yo. But the heat came down real fast. Mm. Hustler hit the big time just to come out and find. The man never lets that last. Mm. Yo, you feel me? Yeah. Then a prairie dog hopped up on the log and said, I can feel where you're coming from. There was a time when my family controlled all five boroughs, but those times are all long gone. We had an underground racket, politicians in our packet, but then an insider ratted us out. If it wasn't for this co-op, we'd really be endangered. We'd be goners without a doubt. looked all around confused and said you guys aren't really going extinct and they all kind of chuckled and a walrus said not as long as that's what people think you see we're just laying low while things blow over with our business issues shall we say <laughs> mr eagle is our legal representative for evil our liaison with the epa the old woodpecker took off his hat a tear ran down his bill. He looked at the eagle and said, Whatever it takes, just keep the man from coming down on my still. He's coming down hard on my still. Well, you can scorch my skies and poison my rain. Build another Burger King, have it your way. Pave more highways, add more lanes. There's too many I've rebuilt woodpeckers anyway, but never take a pecker from his shine. No, you never take a pecker from his old moonshine Do what you gotta do, Lord, do what you will But never take a pecker from his moonshine still No, you never take a pecker from his moonshine still Devil's blood The Irish call it Poatine The Germans call it Schwarzenegger Here in the old U.S. America We call it the old ivory-billed woodpecker's delight he was catching some glares from some old panda bears and suspicions started to grow. And a sea turtle asked about what everyone was thinking. How do we know he ain't 5-0? Well, the bald eagle said, if you're gonna play dead, boy, you better understand the rules. You birds rat on us or you blow your own cover. Your tree won't be the only thing with holes. Next time you see an endangered species, count yourself lucky as hell indeed. Cause he's one of the few, the tried and true, who doesn't traffic drugs and doesn't grow weed. The rest are alive, they're just laying low, it's their morals that are going extinct. We don't know where they are or where exactly they meet, but at least we know what they like to drink. Score.
Scorch my skies and poison my rain Build another Burger King, have it your way Pave more highways, add more lanes There's too many I've rebuilt woodpeckers anyway But never take a pecker from his shine No, you never take a pecker from his old moonshine Do what you gotta do, Lord, do what you will But never take a pecker from his moonshine still some people feel guilty for the things that they do. Other people don't think twice. Some people live until the day that they die. Other people play dead their whole lives. Some people give up everything above for everything they got underground. Some people get worried they'll be lost forever. Other people worry they'll be found. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.